All right, guys. Thank you all for being here. Um, I'm Josh with Evoke Bike, coach there. I want to go around and you guys can all kind of introduce yourself and how you know each other and your your Zwift uh, interactions. Come on, Who starts? Who starts first? Me? Why me? Uh, Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm a coach at Evoke. You know me from the previous podcast and just like from social media. Uh, I met up with this ginger-looking fellow below me a few years back when COVID hit. Started doing Zwift races together and build a friendship. And here we are today. Like Then we got into DSing together, racing. And that's how we met Patrick and Tom. And raced on the same team and yeah somehow we managed to be on the top of the racing for a good year and a half i think some of those riders still are yeah um, <laughs> so i own a, a bike shop uh and about i joined on swift i joined the krt kiss racing team and used to lead the Kiss It Base three days a week for about, I can't remember, Alex, how many years? Three? More, I think five years. Really? Oh, my word. <clears throat> I mean, just, then, to, just, to, just to like put in context, like, Russ was one of the initial sponsors for um, Nathan Guerra's sponsor, uh, um, Nathan Guerra stream. So if you ever followed, like, the Swift Community Live that, that streams races, Russ was one of the sponsors, like, years ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Long time ago. Uh, yeah, and then we we sort of put a team together and I would usually DS, sometimes jump in. Alex would DS and sometimes jump in. And then we just scream at Tom and the rest of his <laughs> teammates, which at the time, if they were going hard with the puke bucket next to them, I think they weren't enjoying it, but... The banter after was so good. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. It's like, I know these guys take swift racing so serious, so serious at the, the top end, but you've got to keep it fun. As soon as it doesn't become fun, just forget about it because it will mess with you. You know, looking at the numbers, like I'm glad Swift took off the, the live weigh-ins like two, three hours before you raced, because that was causing so many issues with so many athletes. So they they got rid of that, which I think is a good thing. So I yeah. got so much. I want to jump into that, but I want to hear Tom. Why don't you introduce yourself first? Yeah, so I, I'm Tom Thrall. Um, I'm a Canadian that's based out of the U.S. right now. Um, <clears throat> currently racing for Next, powered by Insured. Um, you can see by the hat got a rep um but uh yeah i got into zwift i guess would have been actually i I probably signed up really late 2019 so it's coming up on on really two full years on the platform right right about now uh when i had moved back from singapore so i was living in singapore i just uh finished my first year of road racing really successful season and got relocated for work um from singapore back to canada and wanted to keep riding so i first thing i did bought an indoor trainer signed up for zwift and um yeah and actually didn't really get serious into it for a while because i wasn't 
sold on the platform, really wasn't sold on the whole indoor thing just yet, um, but really took off once um, I relocated. So at that point, had moved then to the U.S. a couple months later, took a little bit of a hiatus from cycling. And that was right, right around the time when where kind of uh, pandemic started and we were in full kind of lockdown mode and had no choice but to, to use Zwift. So that, that's really where kind of it all started. Within a couple months, I uh, got connected with Patrick Wally and we actually met out on the road and he told me about the Zwift team that they were kind of ramping up and uh, kind of hopped in right before the, the first Premier League season uh, last September and then just kind of all exploded from there. So that's when Zwift kind of became my life and everything I do. Um, but yeah, right now racing for Next and Powered by Insured and uh, yeah, having a blast. We're about to uh, finish off a great season and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, whatever's next with esports and Zwift. So. Awesome. And I've, I've, Alex has mentioned this a few times. I think that you're ranked pretty high in the Zwift rankings currently. I believe currently number one, maybe number two, but uh, number number one, number one as of recently. That's amazing, man. I didn't know that song. (laughs) What's up, Patrick? How's it going? Hey guys, I'm trying to get my uh, headphone situation started. Bear with me. How are you guys doing? We're doing, we're doing well. We just did some introductions. Um, I, uh, Russ mentioned something I kind of wanted to jump in a bit deeper on was the weigh-ins. Cause this is something, I don't know if a lot of people, like, unless you're racing competitively on Zwift, people maybe don't understand that process. So, and I guess it's changed. So do you guys kind of want to go into how that works and I guess how it's changed over, uh, over time? Whatever do you want to do. Yeah, where do, you, think, where do you want to start? <laughs> well, yeah. let's start with the, the process of the weigh-in. So it was it, it's stressful. And that's where what would you say? Over the period of the weigh-ins, over the season of the racing, it affected so many athletes in such a negative way. And yeah. I uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say take a step back. I think going to the game itself, it's so heavily weight dependent that likely is why it kind of drives that kind of behavior and makes it so stressful. So kind of for those, again, everyone I'm assuming is watching this, interested in this, has some interest in Zwift, but compared to outdoor riding, the game uses an algorithm that uses watts per kilogram. So your weight Uh, your power over your weight and ultimately favors that much more than what you would, what it would account to or benefit you outside. Uh, So indoors is a much, I I totally screwed that up, but basically the weight is much more of a factor inside. So when having a weigh in for a game, every ounce kilogram makes, makes a huge difference in terms of gameplay. Yeah, it does, but just like um, the difference here is like people obsess over it, but let's say, let's use me and you, like me and you are pretty much the same height and same weight. So if you look, this is like, so, so uh, 
Russell, Russ knows this, Tom knows this, and Patrick also knows this. So I used to work for a website called uh, Jeff Power, which is the analytical website that uh, runs over races, um, do recordings, etc., etc. Et uh, I got onto the website with Dave Ranson and James Hodges, who were the, uh, the initial crew. And I had a few discussions with James. Uh, the game favors riders between 67 and 75 kilos and in a height range between 170 to 180 centimeters. So me and Tom Blake basically fall into that, let's call it sweet spot. So uh, I'm screwed. Sorry, Alex. Yeah, you are. Basically, you're small and you're light. <laughs> uh, okay. That's why, like, you see why taller riders tend to <clears throat> tend to manipulate or just, like, go into extremes with weigh-ins. Or on the other on on the other point of view, why lighter riders have such a stressful time in racing, you know? Because it's like Tom mentioned, it it's not like in real life racing where you can use the draft or you can use other people around you. It's so heavily uh, weight um, weight dependent. So, but it all seems to be around that sweet spot. So, like sixty seven to about seventy five kilos is that is that uh, perfect spot to be in, like as we see. And because if you look at the winners, like last Premier Division, the current Premier Division, riders tend to be in, the, in that weight range. Yeah. Now, is that universal? Or is that across like Zwift as a platform? Or is it sometimes, platform, you know, platform, platform. Yeah, I, was, I was wondering if it was course specific. Yeah, uh, platform, at, the, at the heart of the race, it's a sprinter's race. And you need peak watts and, you know, riders in that sort of size range tend to have that peak power, but also have that balance of they're just light enough, you know, but they're strong enough and they have that just pure, pure power, just enough that they can be effective at the final because it's a very, very, very frequently, um, at least a small or a reduced bunch sprint. And I, I mean, I guess historically, if you want to talk about the history of the weigh-in, because I think a lot of people who just right outside don't know this, there used to be a website called, uh, it was Zwift Transparency or Trent? Yeah. 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 And, and it was a, com- a community run Facebook page that people could volunteer to say like, hey, look, by the way, like I am trying to do this legit. So they'd weigh in, they'd weigh in before a race. There was, the rules were much looser. And then Zwift kind of when they created the premier division and to just continually make it more fair, they added a 24 hour weigh in and they decided, I guess, second or third season, third season last year, they changed it to a two hour before because they're, they're trying to find, and, and you know, there, there was a lot of back and forth between riders and managers uh, and the race management about what was the best way to do it. They settled on it. That's what Zada settled on. So now it's just, it's a two hour way in, which I don't know if it makes it better or worse. It's still just a way in. Um, and, you know, you just have to plan accordingly for you to weigh in. That's how it works. I mean, if you look at it from this point of view, in both ways, it's stressful because if you have 34 hours, then you can like really dehydrate yourself. And technically, if your nutrition is good and you know how to fuel, you can be a kilo or two heavier on uh at on race day so but two hours before the race so let's say for you guys in the states it's a bit easier because the races tend to be 
mid around midday to morning time. But for us in Europe, like it's for me personally, it's 8 p.m., 9 p.m. in the evening. So like it's yeah. Um, so you eat all day long, and it's like yeah. you wait fluctuates all day. So it it definitely is a, an added stress, regardless of when it happens. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It, it's a it's a funny aspect of the but, game for but sure also, also going to the, that that transparency that was a good move from the community that was a community started thing but the problem started happen because there was too many call outs and people call, calling like each other out and just like pointing fingers that's why like zada which is like um, let's call it like the um, usada of uh, yeah wada, wada or, uh, yeah wada of uh, racing stepped in to limit that because then it got really it got really unhealthy i mean you you, you saw a pair, you saw a, f- a fair amount of hilarious waiters like guys using bricks and etc so i mean that's that was the funny side of it so <laughs> so what about doubling down on transparency isn't there also a double recording as well don't you need to have two different power yeah. devices yeah are there specifics on that as to what you can have yeah, yeah as, um, as a, I'll go on, Alex. I'll go on, go on. Well, I, from my point of view, it's the the smart trainer you're using is the the one that records the power on the Swift platform. And then you record your power meter, whether it's crank-based or pedal, on your head unit like Garmin or Wahoo. And then after the race, you upload that and then you've got two power readings and they have to be within a certain uh, a certain percentage of each other so percentage unknown but whatever <laughs> is acceptable i think it's 3 to 5% no, no, it's, it's, it's 5 to 7% 5, yeah, 5 to 7 yeah Zada does not specify but i everyone has their alex might know having maybe worked with them before but they don't specify I think it was mentioned somewhere that it's five to seven percent because, uh, yeah. Again, it depends like from like trainer to trainer. But I think Josh's question was also if we're if you are limited to equipment choices, so, so like certain brands, right? So as of now, yes, you are limited. So like for let's say let's use Tax Tax, you can only use the Neo, and I think the Flux Two model, and then Elite is just like direct direct and above, and Wahoo is kicker kicker core and kicker. In the, the latest the, version, and the Saris H3, yeah, and Saris H3. So, like, though you can basically for the top end racing, you can only use like the premium models, no wheel on trainers allowed, uh, because like wheel on trainers tend to be the least accurate, and uh, the, you can like you can manipulate them the easiest, so to say. But I'm not going to go into details. And what about is heart rate data? Is that necessary as well? Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be on both your in-game for 95% of the race and um, on your dual recording as well. Um, You can use the same heart rate strap for both. They allow that, but uh, your power has to be separate device. Now, is there, does anybody, the the trainer bikes, like I think wahoo has one i don't know if there's another one i read is there an advantage or disadvantage or is that just the same thing as using like a you know a kicker disadvantage. trainer disadvantage because like <clears throat> let's say if you use your bike there are riders who will even triple record so like they will have multiple power devices on one bike 
with that bike, you're basically limited just to like the sole power source, which is the trainer itself. And then you have to buy pedals because you cannot mount a crank or whatever on it. And also just the way those, I mean, it's every rider's going to get the feel and, and get used to riding their trainer. Like there's definitely an art to each trainer has, it's going to have different tendencies. Uh, and that knowing how to, how to ride each trainer correctly is, is going to be uh, a real difference make how you're able to play. Um, and also, you know, so, so those bikes, I, I don't know a ton about them. I've, I've ridden the kicker bike once and it felt pretty good. It's kind of cool. You can, it's got adjustable crank lengths. Um, but you know, it, it's going to be very rider dependent. I don't know if there's an advantage or dis- disadvantage other than maybe you could set the kicker bike up. So you really, I mean, out if you're using your outdoor bike, like, like that bike, I got, it's slammed in the front end because it's it's an outdoor bike and it looks good that way and that's not necessarily like the highest power producing way if you put maybe like a 90 mil stem and a big stack on there you can get a more um maybe a little bit more uh, power out of, out of your setup if you have it set up indoor specific yeah, just, I got one just on that oh sorry just on that patrick on that setup thing so i use two bikes on swift so I use my road bike and I use my TT bike. Mm. I use my TT bike and because of the position I'm in, I'm gaining 15, 20 watts already just because of the position I'm in. There you go. That, that's interesting. That was my, my, I, my final tech question. I want to get into racing, but if you guys have dedicated indoor bikes and if it's set up differently and if you can use a TT bike, if that's allowed in the racing series. Everything is allowed. Could use a mountain bike. You could use whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, right now, I'm on a yeah. dedicated indoor bike. Well, pretty much indoor. I, I hardly ride outdoors anymore. Um, but yeah, it's it's set up and like for example, chain ring selection. Um, yeah, like like Patrick was saying, your stem, your bars, everything is set up to optimize uh indoor and again to work well with your trainer that you have and just your physiology all right let's get into racing here a little bit i want you guys to break down say you're going into a race what's the strategy like are you guys talking about course and then russ i want to hear your ds perspective from this as well what's kind of the the process going into a race okay so the first process is we decide what race we're doing or in the Premier League, what race is coming up. And then through our phones or computers, we will talk about bike selection, who's feeling good, who's, you know, depending on the course. Uh, and then we, we, there's a certain amount of tactics involved, obviously. And then we talk about uh, what the other teams have been doing how well they're going, who to look out for, uh, who's feeling good on the day, um, who's going to do a stupid attack off the front so the guys that are feeling good can sit in as much as possible. So there's all sorts. Uh, Alex, Uh, add to that. Usually you say rule five and that's it. Like everyone knows what that means. (laughs) (laughs) It means Russ is going to make us all puke today. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... uh, 
So usually when me and Russ DS, like I, I was like more of the geeky side, the number side. To Russ was there for. So you have to know about him. He, yeah, he's he's in cycling. I, I usually call. I said, I say he's been in cycling since the Stone Age, because he's that old. So. Uh, sure. I usually just like get like the numbers and etc because I know all the numbers uh, of the guys like from the top of my head. Uh, and basically from my side, it was just like get them in the first 15 minutes. And once like the main part of the race started, like Russ took over and just screamed at him. Like Tom can also uh, confirm here. I think it was uh, uh, one of this. I think Tom won it and Patrick was in the top 10 on a UCI Richmond course. I, I think you fainted or puked at the end, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, you, yeah. It was That, that would have been season. I, no, I definitely puked after some time trials. I, I, that race was hard. That was the season one Richmond where we ended on the climb. And I... Yeah, I, yeah you won yeah, that I think, one. Yeah, I did win that one. And I think it was just, I remember Russ was calling it and he just told me to go early and I just trusted him. And I think it, it was so painful. I was kind of like blacking out by the end, but just the adrenaline kicked in and you just, you just figure it out. But um, yeah, I think part of being a DS is knowing when to push, knowing when to just let the riders do, do their thing. Um, Cause I, I think a lot, a lot of the times, especially Zwift is, is all about timing, right? When you're going to make your finish or your attack and a lot of people are sometimes overly conservative and just hearing your DS tell you to go, even though you're like, I don't know, this feels early. Uh, sometimes uh, usually works out for the best. I mean, you have to know a bit of also about psychology. That's like where Russ comes in because he has those years behind him. And just like, it's easy to know how and when to push the buttons of a rider. So like, let's say with me, he knows he can be rough. He can call me names. That will, that will get me fired up. With another rider, it's completely different. You have to be more gentle. So it's, uh, yeah, it's hugely psycho- like psychological dependent, but just like, as Tom said, like you just need to trust him and just like go for it. And we all trust Russ's, his judgment. And whenever he called that shot, like be that in a team time trial, a normal race, whatever just like we pulled it off in the end yeah the other thing like alex mentioned with the psychology so we would also ds the women's team and i learned a lot in the first three or four races of what you can say and what you can't say that was a big learning curve likewise big time <laughs> different animal it makes it <laughs> It makes a big difference when you have a DS versus not having a DS, just someone, especially in time trials, but in races to keep everybody cool, especially, you know, everybody for premier league wise, everybody puts so much time and effort into preparing, you know, you get your zoom stream up, you got to get your way and you got to submit your dual recording. Everything's got to happen on a schedule. It's a, it's, it's an hour race or a little less, but it is an all day process. It's, it's brutal. It's very stressful. And you get wound up in a race. And if you don't have somebody to kind of bring you back down and keep your, you're just wasting energy. So the DS is helping you save energy when it counts and really giving you that extra percent when you really need it in the final. Um, Another thing I think it's kind of cool uh, about 
Zwift is it's, you know, it's, it's kind of its own season of, of riding. You know, if you watch the world tour and you watch the, the classics, like all the, it's always the same 20 guys up there. And a lot of that 20 comes the same five or six. And, and those guys are remembering how everybody was racing last weekend and who's riding well, who's going, I mean, there's all, they know their own race in a different, just as we know regionally in the States. Like I know pretty much if I'm showing up to a top view race, I pretty much know who's going to be there, what the teams are going to be. And in the Zwift season, especially as we're getting now into it for, you know, in earnest, it's middle of November. Uh, you're, you're racing training races, you're racing weekend races, you're racing series, and you're racing the same people. Uh, Greg Leo, when I started, told me, he was like, you know, you just got to do O-crits, show up to a couple O-crits, and friend every single person who beats you on the companion app. And then you have this list of people, you're like, all right, these guys are hitters. And then you start knowing their names. And then all of a sudden, you're not just racing bots, you're racing people. You've seen their streams. And like, that's what it takes to get to understand this discipline is it really takes, you got to invest it. I mean, it's a couple of years. It really takes to, to really, really get in there. Um, and, and knowing your competition, that's, that's what makes it real. I can add yeah. also here, just like onto the DS side. So uh, the DS also helps you, like gives you another, uh, another pair of eyes because usually Premier Division is like a hundred riders. 80 to 100 riders so you just cannot scroll with your mouse like like to see what's happening on the front if you're in the back so like yeah. with if you have two ds's like one can uh, watch the middle part of the bunch and just like one can scope the front what's happening or like if you have a breakaway it's the same one can watch the main bunch one can watch the yeah so so elaborate on that a little bit i wanted to ask what is the ds looking at and where are they looking what what is that i mean i mean it depends just like Usually, well, other, go, yeah, go on. Alex, is the other thing while we're DSing and we've gone into the pen with the guys just to watch that we also have Swift Power live. Yeah. The, yeah. So we're seeing their stats. Obviously, sort of 30 second delay, but we're seeing what they're pushing out, their heart rates, where they're positioned. So you're, you're looking at two screens. And you're taking all that info in and and trying to push that to the guys that don't worry, you're all right where you are, stay where you are, chill out on the pedals. Or when you see it kicking off of the front and you see some spikes, you're like, guys, move up, move up, move up. Because once a big split goes, and this is very difficult unless you've got a bigger group behind that are willing to push, you won't get back on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. As, a, as, a, as a racer, the things I want to hear from my DS are if there's anyone off the front and the time gap that they have, um, how big the group we're in. So, like, if I'm drifting back, I, I know what numbers to watch for um, so I don't get too far back or don't put myself in a bad position. Um, potentially, who's left in the group? So who do I need to mark or watch for? Um and, and just things like that. So it's just another set of eyes because I have uh, quite a few things to worry about myself, how, how long's left in the race, my heart rate, my wattage, all that kind of stuff. So it's just basically a second or third set of eyes that's just helping you manage everything that's going on. Every time 
you know, so it's, let's say, you know, Tom's chilling 70th position and the race, you know, maybe like there's like seven, eight guys that are all pushing at the same time at the front of the race. He's not going to see that on, on his screen. He's not going to see that. He'll realize it's happening after a few seconds, but if you have a DS that's go, it's now. And they all of a sudden are able to adjust before there's that delay. That's a huge, huge help. That's a huge energy, energy save, you know, mentally and physically. Those, those sort of things add up, especially in the premiere when it's just so fast, the entire race. And to know yeah. like, oh, this guy's off the front doing 7.5. It's like, no, no, no. He's, he's 190 already, heart rate. He's pegged. He's got three more minutes. He's blown. So like, you don't have to worry. You don't, he's like, oh, he's got 10 seconds. So it's like, he's done. <laughs> you know, just to know that, have that uh, assurance is really helpful. I think that happened last year, actually. It's one of the, like, one of the initial races. I'm not sure if it was the qualifying series or, uh, or uh, when the Premier Division actually started, like Tom was saying, like, oh, there's a guy, there's a guy off the front. And then just like Russ clicked on him. I was like, don't worry, don't worry. Like, he's, he's already done. He was like, max out, just like heart rate, like Patrick said, over 190. And then in the end, like Tom just took and took the win just because we kept him, kept him cool. Like, wait, you have three Ks to go, unleash your attack, okay, to go. So so let's talk about that. Can can teams, um, I want to talk about the leagues too, but can say your team, say insured, can they bring in, can you guys kind of like bring in a dark horse of like that no one knows? Like, is that a thing? Or is no. it, they have to be like? No, riders have to be pre-regged like in advance. So the roster of 10 riders, um, it has to be in advance. You have to complete in the power verification Weight verification, you have to complete a power test. Usually, like in the past, it was a lap of the three sisters course. So like uh, a one-minute effort, around a 20-minute effort, five-minute effort, and uh, a sprint in the end. Now it's just like, I think, 30 seconds, one minute, seven minutes, 12 minutes, and I think two maximum sprints in the end. I'm just on the top of my head. Uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's a painful process just to get it done. But it's it's kind of like it's kind of like making a selection for a let's say a Grand Tour team. So you have it's all done in advance. That makes sense. What's the league breakdown? I know you guys keep saying Premier League. Is that like is that is it that's the top? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the way Zwift. Go ahead. Uh, it's just Zwift uh, created the Premier League. Uh, as kind of an, an evolution of its uh, elite racing program, and they did three seasons last year. Where a couple, there's a couple of races left in the first season of this year. Oh, there's one race left, and uh, and there are also so that's how, Tom. Is it 15 teams? Right now we're at uh, 20. Well, it was 20, and then with a merger, it dropped down to 19. Um, but they are reducing it down to 12 next season. Um, so there's basically it's a relegation system in the Premier League just to keep fresh um, teams. So there's community leagues and Premier Leagues. And right now they're doing their biggest relegation. So eight, uh, well, seven teams are going to get relegated uh, after this race. And what they'll do is they'll bring in, I believe, three new teams from the community divisions that earn a spot. So there's kind of, it's like uh, exactly like the, the football or soccer leagues in Europe where you can kind of move up and down um, depending on how well or how poorly you're playing. 
Now, and you also said there's three, the three, I guess, calendars or three schedules or three divisions. I know I'm not saying this right. Um, throughout the season, I guess three seasons. Yeah. A season is uh, six or seven races typically. And you guys and need they're, to participate they're weekly. Do you have to participate in, in all of those? Yeah. So um, unlike normal racing or like, it's not single day racing, it's all, it's all overall points based. So like you can get a, a individual win, but your team can still not win. If you don't acquire enough points, there's sprint races uh, sort of like, you know, so there'll be KOM points and then there'll be sprint points and you have to, your team over the course of the race has to acquire enough points. It's very heavily weighted in the finish. Um, but you have to acquire enough points to win overall. And then that overall score translates to a individual team score for each race. And that adds up race to race to race. And so the overall winner will have the highest score at the end of the season, at the end of all of the races being completed. And is that season then saying like a 12 month period is, is there a certain months where you guys are aiming for specifically like I'm saying, is, and then also as like a training, can you like kind of like macro cycle this or how does that work? No, no, because there's not, that's the problem with Zwift and like everyone is complaining over it. There's nothing known in advance. Like in the past, it was like, oh, the, new, the next season is starting in 10 days. It's like, oh, I, but I'm having my first road race in 10 days. It's a, it's a nightmare. I hope they, f- they figure out the system like going forward so that, that there, there are like time periods I think the next one is starting late January or uh, February. Tom and Patrick should know better. But it's just schedule-wise, it's been a nightmare in the past. Like, there was nothing known. You found out basically last minute. And just like going back to what Patrick said, I, uh, I actually found myself in that scenario where we won every race, but because, but because we didn't accumulate enough points like from KOMs and sprints, we still didn't move up the uh, division. I think it's getting better. Yeah, I I agree. Zwift has not been forthcoming with information, but it's getting better. Like right now we know like roughly the Zwift season is from October till probably the end of April. Like that's kind of key Zwift season. What they do in that time frame is a little bit unknown, whether it's two seasons, three seasons, whether we're going to have an esports world or we're not. Like all these things are kind of unknown and where things fall, but if if you're training to be specifically racing on Zwift, you got to be ready for those months, just like a road rider would be kind of ready in the kind of reverse months, right? From May until end of September. So how do you, during the season then, I'm thinking, and correct me here, I'm kind of thinking it's a comparison to like a cyclocross race. I mean, you guys are just going all out for the races are what, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, or do they vary there? Very. I mean, you have races. Races, sorry, you have races at the weekend that can be also two and a half hours long. But just like, like, yeah, <laughs> Tom knows which race I meant, but that's brutally hard. But uh, like, good? let's. <laughs> it's they're good. They're good. I, I love them. I hate them. I do too. As long as it's not like. Surrey Hills or something yeah. silly, or, or the two hundred, <laughs> or the two hundred yeah. that we did in January, Aros. Oh yeah, let's go about that. Two hundred. What's, what's the shortest race? Are we talking like is there a minimum there? Could it be thirty minutes? 
Well, for for Zwift Racing League, you're pretty much always hitting the 45 minutes to an hour time frame. Yeah. When we're talking about community races, you can have a race as short as, I don't know, Kirchmar race, 10K. They're 10. 10K. They're 10 minutes. Yeah. Sometimes, t- yeah, 12 minutes. Yeah. And then you have races as long as, like they were saying, 150, 200K sometimes. So community varies a ton, but we've kind of, they've kind of set the time frame that spectators want to watch no more than 45 to 60 minutes um, for kind of the sanctioned, like higher level races. But other platforms are doing other things like Echelon Racing League. We had races that were close to two hours, so maybe closer to an outdoor, maybe even longer, some of them. Um, so Zwift has kind of found their a niche in terms of what they want, but I, I could see other platforms kind of adopting other styles and other races. So then what does training look like on a typical week there? If you guys are racing, it sounds like possibly twice in like a seven-day period. Uh-huh. No more easy. No, <laughs> ask, way more ask, than that. Ask, okay, ask, well. ask Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, a typical training week in race season, it's it's a lot of racing. Like you kind of have to throw a training plan out the window because off season I'll do a structured training plan because I'm not gonna race as much if at all. Like I do take a break from Zwift racing because you could just kill yourself racing all year nonstop. So. For example, last year, summer months, I did not race at all. Like my first race was kind of late October um, priming for like, sorry, late August priming for an October start. Um, But in, in season, I'll race four or five times a week. I typically look for kind of the big races. Like I'll do the kiss race series or the, Oh my crit. Um, Those are kind of the two bigger ones that I'll focus on um and kind of vary the time of day and then i'll typically pair that with some steady volume kind of zone one zone two um just to kind of get the volume up so it varies for me it's probably anywhere from 10 to 15 hours during race season but off season if i'm indoors i'll do structured training inside and out anywhere and typically more volume maybe 15 to 20 hours a week Yeah, um, I uh, I did a lot of prep you know, between the end of outdoor riding and indoor riding. I did a, a pretty heavy structure block. And uh, since then, I may be doing like one workout per week. And um, it, it really just depends. You have to kind of know, well, you have to pick races that suit your training load, which is very possible to do if you have a flexible enough schedule. So like... This week, for example, uh, I'm going to do, I did, it was team time trial week. So I did, and I've been doing two community leagues. So I've been doing like a, a early morning and then a midday on Tuesday. And Tuesdays have been doubles now for six weeks. And and that's a pretty heavy day. Like that's a pretty tiring day. So I'm not going to do anything the, the following day. Very, very light ride uh, typically or, you know, endurance like, but this week with the time trials, it wasn't quite as sharp of an effort. So I had a little bit more in the, uh, more ta- in the tank yesterday. So I did an endurance ride. And then, so that's essentially a threshold over under workout. So I know I'm not going to need to do, maybe I'll get some more threshold on the weekends if I'm doing uh, Oh My Crit or Kiss. 
And then, uh, so I, but I want to keep my sprint sharp. So yeah, it's, then you do a Kirchmar race or two and then a double Oh my crit, which is like maybe 20 minutes of tempo with some spikes and then you know, sprint practice at the end. So you're getting a lot more sprint practice in season. So you're recovering and sprinting and recovering and sprinting. I mean, it also depends from rider to rider. So like I personally never approached it as Tom or Patrick do. So because my I'm primarily a road rider, so I just like did it for fun, except during COVID that went wild. Uh, but I mean, now working with riders who specifically do surf racing, it just depends from person to person and what they want to do. I mean, just like um, in general, it's like Tom said, like the top riders will train through the summer, more um, endurance-based, build that base up. It's kind of like, in the end, it's kind of like cyclocross. You train through the summer months, build that, that aerobic fitness, and then just go into racing and race until April, and then call it quits, recover. Until and, you can't. <laughs> or, or that. Or, or I think all, all three of us like found, on their, found out on their own skin how it is to be fried by your racing. Uh, you get, oh, yeah. If, if you get hooked on Swift and you get hooked on the racing, Guaranteed within two, three months, you're oh, gone. Yeah. You're finished. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like starting racing for the first time. It was like, or you're just starting training. Like I that's a I didn't have that feeling since like maybe my very first winter. It's like first 12 hour week ever. And then like the next week, you're like, I am so cracked. And you know, it's getting into that getting deep into Zwift reminded me of that early feeling of like, whoa, I've never done anything like this to myself. And it's day in, day out. This, this, yeah. this guy, we've all done it. We're on there seven days a week or used to be. And now we're all a bit more clued up and, and what's required and what you need to do yourself to get where you want to. Uh, but when you first get into it, because I, from a shop point of view, when I sell a, a smart trainer, I will offer them to come around and set it up for them and go through the, the stuff they don't know on the computer or whatever, uh, iPad, just to set up certain stuff for them that they don't realize themselves. And they come in in a week and it's like, I'm on it every day. The wife's murdering me and stuff like that. Because it, it is that addictive. Russ, but to be fair, I mean, now we're all a bit a bit more mature and like we know how to control ourselves, like speaking for all four of us, because yeah. you also, you yourself, you also for a period went wild and was racing on it every day. Oh. But uh, it's just like you come to a certain point where, where you hit a limit. I found out last year well, where that limit was. And uh, to be fair, the only way you learn is by burning yourself like... That's just how life works. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you guys obviously have been doing this a long time. So people getting into this, I got two questions for you. What are some tips and tricks you guys have with your setup? Um, like whatever that is, you know, I'm sure it's like fans and towels and stuff, but anything specific that you guys find that helps you. And then if people want to start racing, where's a good place to start? Uh, I would say on setup, a decent computer. Not one of these cheap things you get, you know, because it uh, and just jack straight into your router. Yeah, yeah that's the that's the most important thing. Don't use don't, Wi-Fi. Don't use Wi-Fi. 
Just yeah, check wire, your computer. Wire everything. Yeah. 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 Unless you're using Mac based products like Bluetooth, uh, Wi Fi are a lot better on those. Um, again, higher end the better. Um, cause there are some Mac products that wouldn't get the same kind of enjoyment out of gameplay. Um, but yeah, wire everything like it's kind of a mess, but, uh, it, it makes a huge difference. Um, lots of fans. I use three fans, um, keep it cool if possible. Like, I think that's a big turnoff for a lot of new riders. They'll just get on the trainer without any fan in a hot room. And after 30 minutes, they'll be just completely exhausted and drenched and hate it because, and that was me at the beginning too. The first ride I ever did, no fan, nothing. And just, I, 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 I wondered how people were able to, to do this. Um, so yeah, use fans. And then obviously towels are important. I sweat a lot. <laughs> well, Patrick can attest to that, but, uh, yeah, just so you don't uh, destroy your house or your bike, um, protect that stuff with with towels also avoid also avoid avoid bluetooth and use unplugged just because i know there's a big boom like with bluetooth like people think it's the best thing for zwift racing but bluetooth is like a multi has multiple channels when you connect it and just like unplugged works in a way it's only in and out so it's like a two um, uh let's call let's call it like a two-way channel and the you don't use any other Unplus signal except for your power meter, trainer, and heart rate at your home. Like no one does. With Bluetooth, our phones have Bluetooth, our laptops, maybe your neighbor has Bluetooth and it will interfere. So in my opinion, bin off Bluetooth, except if you're, if you're on your tablet and just use Unplus as the safer way. Oh, and also, like Tom mentioned, get a few meters of USB cable and put that dongle as close to the trainer and power meter as possible. Definitely. Oh, and another tip is don't wear your best cycling shoes while swifting. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you will ruin them. Because like Tom says, you sweat so much. You get off that trainer, it's like you've been swimming. That's how wet you are. Mm-hmm. And, I, and usually if it's over an hour's hard racing, like an hour and a half, one of the big races like the kiss on the Sunday is you basically strip off as the kilometers tick by your top count. It's like, and you're towering yourself and yeah, yeah. You, you won't believe how much sweat is. Yeah. It's crazy. And I think hydration, what goes go hand on. in hand with that is uh, proper nutrition and hydration. Like Definitely. I, I always have, if I was going to do a kiss, I'd have five, five water bottles beside my bike with electrolyte or sports drink with a couple gels, like you're going to burn crazy amounts of energy. So fuel properly, like every kind of 15 to 20 yeah. minutes or every 30 minutes, you got to be making sure you're getting uh, fuel. I found with the big races, the long races, the two, two and a half hour races, when SIS brought out that beta fuel, with the 80 grams of carbs, that makes a massive difference. One of those an hour with a gel of an extra 30 grams of carbs makes a huge difference. I know it's a lot of carbs, but it helps. SIS also has those, um, I think they're indoor-specific gels, which I haven't looked into. I don't know if you guys have tried those. Oh, or- I, I sell them in the shop. They 
basically it's menthol. So it has a cooling effect then, right? Yeah, but I'm I'm not keen on menthol. So drinking menthol. I tried I wear, it. I wear menthol. I don't I don't drink it. <laughs> <laughs> and then also like one tip we have to add in if you're serious about it, just like invest in a aluminium frame or something, just because I think all three of us found ourselves destroying all our bearings at least i did like i even ruskin <laughs> Rus knows the story i basically snapped off my handlebars in a sprint because like everything was destroyed on my bike <laughs> yeah that's the biggest mistake i see from a lot of people they'll leave their bike on the trainer all winter and they don't do any maintenance um like i'm doing maintenance on my bike once a week cleaning it up um i i wax my chain so i'll do that every week like you got to take really good care of your bike indoors and your trainer like these things do require maintenance if you want to get kind of the best performance out of them i've had a customer come in that he uses his road bike for racing but he puts it on the trainer for winter and he came in you couldn't turn the bars they were completely seized and it basically, it ended up just being a bike for the trainer because I couldn't get the forks out of the frame. They were seized that much from his sweat. Crazy. And it was an expensive bike. Yeah, you got my bike. That was my bike, if you remember. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same, same story. Same story. I just snapped my handle handlebars off. Yeah, I think having some towels is key. I'm guilty of leaving my bike on a bit too longer on the trainer and I snapped a stem bolt when trying to make an adjustment. And uh, yeah, you learn the hard way. So just cover, you're going to sweat a lot more than you think. I mean, you can buy those, you can buy those covers also from Tax or from Elite. It's just like, I think you you put them, you snap them on on your handlebars and your seat post and that should do the job. But just like washing your bike every like every few days yeah, like, or once a week yeah like tom says maintenance on the bike once a week good to go definitely so and what clean about it. um changing gears here a little bit we're talking courses do you guys do they because i know um zwift is always releasing well not always but they have new worlds and new routes do you guys have new courses quite often or is there the kind of like those core courses you guys do how does that work I think the courses out there, we've all ridden them. Uh, when a new course comes out, like the Makura Islands, have you guys raced on that yet? Nope. It's two races Premier League this season, actually. Okay. They're quite a little lumpy. They say it's a flat island, but it's not. No. It's, it is, uh, you know, those little 20, 30-second hits when everyone's yeah. pushing. Uh, as soon as a new course comes out and i think a new one is being added to the makura island bit like hong kongish bit like uh richmond i think but sort of mm. flat for crits uh everyone will jump on them and you'll go and ride them uh and you'll just find out where the elevations are the descents are where it's flat the distance because it, it's like anything when you're going to a race that the things you check, who's racing, so you know how they race, so you're aware of what might possibly happen, and the course itself. If you're going into a course like on Swift and you've never done that course before, you're basically riding blind, so you don't know what's coming up. You're not anticipating anything. 
So if there was a 30-second ramp coming up that averaged 5% and you're not aware of it, because of the way the trainers are delayed to a certain extent, you want to put that power down before you actually get there. So when you're on the ramp, you're on your power and you're moving. Yes, guys? Yeah, yeah but to no, be fair, like now, now also with YouTube, Twitch and etc., you don't really need to do it, but it's good that you feel out the course because there is an element of feel, just like um, Russ said. Because, like, let's use the Premier Division for an example. You, you have to keep your trainer at fifty percent difficulty. That means resistance will feel fifty percent from what you will you would feel outside. Um, so usually the top racers tend to raise between thirty and fifteen percent, some even lower. Depends on the trainer they use because. Some trainers will hit back you differently. Uh, now with YouTube and those uh, websites, you can just like type in a race and you're bound to find something. So you can just watch a recon. You don't have to do it. But for uh, top level racing, it's still a good idea just to feel it out. Yeah, I'll yeah, race talk- multiple times and watch finishes over and over and over again to get my timing down. Alex. I spend way too much time doing that. <laughs> the, the, the trainer difficulty, you had said it has to be yeah. at 15%, but people can adjust it. 50, 50, 5, 50, 50. Five zero. Yeah. So, yeah. But you can go down from that if you want to? The Premier Division, no. It has to be set at 50%. Like we, in our team, so I was teammates with uh, Tom and Patrick uh, before. We had also riders disqualified for that and received warnings for that. Uh, it has to be 50%, no exceptions. For community level, you can do whatever you want. I tried it at 100%, but <clears throat> I guess it depends from trainer to trainer. So Tom uses, an, I think you use the new, I don't know what you're using now. That thing, if you put it on 100%, will s- slam at you like a truck is hitting you. That, no, that's how hard, like, you can't pedal, basically. Yeah. Because uh, on Zwift, people prefer, so on Zwift, low cadence is a thing. And uh, the top riders tend to ride it's extremely low cadences. Uh, I don't know, like Tom, he, if you just check his streams or like his data, his cadence is really low, but that works with Zwift Racing. So uh, if you try to do that with a knee on 100%, you're going to break your legs, basically. Your lower back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I actually, Alex, I didn't know about the low cadence because on Swift, I, I use the Neo and I have it about 30%. And I usually average between sort of 95 to 105 cadence. I'll have to play with that. I read yeah. at about 65 average. No. <laughs> you didn't yeah. know. Me too. Oh, my God. That's grinding. <laughs> I stand. I stand maybe 30, 50% of the time. Oh, wow. I like it so that you can respond better because I, I just – if you get out of the saddle and you have basically you're riding 90, you have to change gears to yeah. get the resistance, right? So if you have a heavy gear, when you stand up or you sprint to respond, you're going to have that resistance to push against. So for me, it's, it's a tactical thing so that I can always make the move that I want um, and get out of the saddle as needed. So I'll, I'll kind of sacrifice. And, and to be honest, from a physiological standpoint, um, I find it more efficient because I can keep my heart rate down a little bit more. I mean, it just depends like from rider to rider. Like you have like Lionel Vuyas and he will spin 
100, even 110, 150 mark PM if you watch his streams. You have Tom on the... So Lionel is a top-level Swifter. Tom is a top-level Swifter. Tom will grind. Lionel will spin. So there's like multiple points of view which what, what feel, uh, fits a rider. But that, here's where traditional road riders struggle with. The majority of road riders will spend between, let's say, 75 to 90 RPM. And then you come onto Zwift and uh, that, doesn't work, that doesn't work anymore. So like then you are, oh, how, how do I race now? You know. So when you put it into a simple perspective, Zwift racing isn't for everyone. And uh, it, uh, it requires some... Ad- some uh, Adaptation. Yeah, adaptation. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something you said, Tom, about like watching videos or reconning courses and seeing like for the sprint where you need to go, timing things. I'm sure there's also, can you guys use the, um, I want to say boosters. I know that isn't the right word. The power-ups, can you use those in the races? So some races have them, some don't. Um, And it really changes the dynamics of the race. Um, Zwift has decided that all their kind of sanction events are going to have power-ups, which again, I'm totally fine with. It's a, it's a video game. Um, but at the end of the day, that changes a lot. Like it, uh, for example, the arrow power-up is one of the kind of favorite ones to have going into a finish. You get, um, I guess, a lower CDA for 15 seconds. I don't know exactly what it does, but basically makes you your avatar go faster for 15 seconds. So knowing that and where to use that and when to start your sprint is going to be very different than if I didn't have that power up. So yeah, it's a, it's a dynamic that really changes the racing. Um, But um, yeah, it's, it's something you need to practice. So you got to find races that have power ups if, if, if you want to practice that. And um, but the, the hard thing is it's kind of a 50, 50 split. So like for example, the oh my crit races will never have any power ups. So it might be the course you're looking for, but then when you add in power ups, it's it's almost a completely different race, um, or a different finish at least than if you if you are using them. So just something to consider when you're doing your recons. Or kiss races the same. Kiss races the same. Uh. Yeah. And uh, the the power ups. There's how many is there? Seven, Seven eight. eight. Yeah. So you've got to know how each one works. Yeah, but also, so, Russ, you ha- also, Russ, you have to think, take in. Um, so as the new rules, new rules, like as they change rules. Um, so for the top level races, I'm not sure how that works with the community now. You uh, have limited power ups per race. So it's not a guarantee that you're going to have all seven or eight yeah. of them available. Yeah, you, yeah. Sometimes it can be just two or three. So and it's just knowing when to use those power-ups. It's like, it's no good coming into uh, like a KOM climb and everyone wants a feather because that's the best and you end up getting the truck. <laughs> so you may as well <laughs> yeah, just use that for the start. It's, yeah, it, it, like Tom said, it's, it's a game. So I would imagine then there as the DS or as the communication going on in the team, you guys are probably all talking about who has what power up, who should go for this yeah. sprint point or KOM. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what about for yeah. tactics? 
is, is it kind of similar to road racing where you can see a solo rider or a group go early on or do, do, the courses that you guys have done a lot is, do they kind of always play out in the same way with a sprint? How does that work? It depends. 95% of the time it does come down to a sprint of usually the stronger riders, uh, but able to keep the power on, stay with that group. When it splits, there could be, what, 10, 15, 20 of you, something like that. Uh, and then it's just knowing who's in that group and who, because like I said before, when you're watching Swift Power, as well as the race, you've got all their top-end sprints, so you know who the sprinters are. So to, I know it sounds funny, but like you say, get on Lionel's wheel or get on Gardner's wheel or Brandt's wheel or, or whatever. Uh, and it usually somehow sort of you end up getting near that, that pixel of that person coming into the last 500 metres. And then I found watching the guys, it's usually in a sort of bunch sprint. You hit, if, if the power up is available, you hit that at 300 meters and you start hitting it. Would you say, Tom, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say anywhere from three to 400 is probably kind of your average. I think in Premier League, you might hit a little earlier, packs going faster, but I would say kind of, you want to time it so it runs out right as you cross the finish line. Exactly. Yeah, but also like you, then you have to take in uh, your own strengths and weaknesses. So let's say I'm a weak sprinter. I'm going to use it as late as possible. Like you're a stronger sprinter. You can use it a bit earlier because like you're going to build that peak power up or Patrick the same. So it's just like depending on what kind of rider you are. Um, but yeah, I mean, tactics wise with the new dynamics, a breakaway can go, but if a ride, so if the pack is doing five watts per kilo average, then the rider at the front has to do six or six and a half. I mean, there's not many riders who can do six and a half watts per kilo for 40 minutes. There are a few of them, like Leonard Togos being one of them. He he tends to like ride away just because that fits him. Or like Tommy also did the breakaway a few times. But uh, there's not many riders currently at the top level who can do that. So sometimes a break does go... Uh, but it has to be the right move of the right of the right teams also. So, in a way, it is similar to road racing, but then again, it's not. Well, and and at the end of the day, it's it's not about the as, as, I guess at least the Swift Racing League is not about the finish line. It's not the end all of the race. So, like you'll have you'll have guys attacking in the middle of the race and getting up the road to scoop uh, intermediate points fairly frequently and then you know it's the late race attack i mean most bike races come to sprints that's just be it online or in real life there's always a couple people sprinting at a line like it's that's just it's just the most typical and the draft is very very powerful in in the game yeah (laughs) yeah yeah the new dynamics are pretty cool it is speaking of the new dynamics are, uh, is uh, is the dynamics up in uh, Watopia now? I think it's they everywhere. Two weeks it's everywhere. Yeah, I All think right, it's everywhere. Cool. Yeah, it's everywhere. I mean, I did ride with the pacer <clears throat> a few days a few days ago, 
and it's like if you ride in the middle of the pack now it's a lot easier like it feels a, a lot more like roadish like as you would outside yeah so what is this you guys are talking about <laughs> it's basically swift updates it's algorithm so so before riders will just like go through one another but now when you move when you see riders it's kind of like on the road it will just like the rider won't go through you it will go beside you like you would like gaps yeah, would open up yeah it's, like it's way a lot better yeah it's a lot better but just like in the past like drafting so now drafting changes changed in the past uh if you sat on the back you could get off with such a low power i mean I finished races in the top five, top 10 by doing like two and a half watts per kilo last wheel. But now it's that sweet spot comes more in the middle to the front. You so, sucker. yeah, the, the way <laughs> I learned the, the way I learned it was like James Hodges, who uh, took me on to Swift Power. I, I got fed up uh, getting dropped by him. So I used to stalk him when he raced to see how he races and how he does it. But that's how I learned how to draft just by stalking James. Uh, are we gonna make the uh, the four minutes to uh, Ocrit start? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think I can make it. Okay, uh, Josh. Another thing about Swift that when newbies come on and enter their first race, the start. Now the start is a completely different concept to the way when you're out on the road. You know, like you just roll off from the start then the flag goes down well from the perspective of swift when you're in the pen and it's counting down i wish you could see a video of every single rider in their home trainer <laughs> with those five seconds going down because it you're like you're riding at 200 watts and you just go bang mm-hmm. and you're up to eight nine ten watts per kilo for like 20, 30 seconds. Or more. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have a set number that you're going for? Like this one? No, you just go this, as hard as you can. Just go as hard as you can. Not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> free, it's 15 seconds free energy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like sometimes if it's a really hard course and if the competition is really stacked, you're just like, and no, Russ like pointed the question once to us: Are you guys still alive? Because like for the first 10, 15 minutes, we were all shut. Like usually, we just it, there is some chatter, but just like guys, are you alive? Um, no, what just happened? <laughs> so yeah, that's how Zwift racing works in a nutshell. It's really, really hard. So you have would to it, be really strong with it being a game. Are there any specifics of uh, tactical things like game wise of like that you guys you know? use or have understood or have learned outside of outside of the power-ups because I know the power-ups are truly a game but I'm saying like maybe it's a tactical thing or whatever it could be oh there's yeah, like, yeah. yeah go on Tom sorry yeah I would say there's quite a bit I would say things like uh, on a downhill um, if you stop pedaling you can go into a super tuck um, you have to be above a certain speed and the gradient has to be a certain um, slope but uh, like, again, a, a seasoned racer will know like how to effectively use a super tuck to save energy. Um, again, kind of going back to the pack dynamics, um, drafting is a huge thing and just being able to conserve your energy and knowing how to move in and out of the pack. So if you are going to make an attack kind of where in the pack you start from, again, all kind of 
things understanding the game and kind of the algorithm. Um, I think there's also kind of things that were touched on earlier, knowing your trainer and your equipment um, and how that responds in game is, is another piece to that as well. Um, so I think those kind of things are just are only learned through practice and, and being on the platform. I, I don't think you can just start up and um, kind of know all the tricks. It's just, it's just practice. And like Alex and other people said, watch videos, watch your favorite riders, see what they're doing, see how they kind of uh, move around or how they kind of approach a race. Cause there's, a, there's a lot of people who are, are very skilled at the game. They might not necessarily be the strongest riders, but they are extremely skilled in knowing the game timing, um, like when to launch, where to draft, all those things. And it just uh, becomes, again, a lot more effective than just trying to kill yourself the whole race. Yeah. I find as well, I, I look on the right-hand side of all the riders and see what, what speculo they're pushing out all the time. Because every now and then you'll see an orange number. And if you see that with a certain rider you know that guy's going to attack because you know that rider and how he rides. So you you follow that as such. And the next thing you know, you're off the front with this guy and he's pulling the watts and you're doing a watt less. So you're saving energy and then all of a sudden there's a gap. And then you'll see other riders trying to come across because they can see what riders are going to affect this ride. Yeah. That's another tactic. Do they do any races? I know, I think there was a something, something on Zwift that was employed recently where you can hide, you can just see your avatar. Are there any races where they do that, where you can only, they only allow you just to see the avatar? They used to. They yeah, used they to. did, but they were, they were stupid. It, I mean, it's, some people might've liked it. It, it's not the game. That's not the game. The game is, you know, part, part data collection. And, I mean, it, they didn't even know tell you where the finish line banner was. So they do custom finishes and you don't even know where you are on the course or where the finish is actually going to be. And it's like, that's not really a race. It's just kind of a group rest, a stick in the a stick in the road. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah. just like, I mean, the game has to stay as it is because at the, at the end of the day, Zwift, RGT, whatever, esports is not road cycling, it's not cyclocross, it's not mountain bike. It's a completely it's a completely unique discipline and it has a time and a place in cycling. And what I love about it, like put this in perspective. Russ is in Jersey in the UK. Thomas from Canada lives in Nashville. Patrick is also in Nashville. They're all my friends. I met him how through Zwift. So that's the part I love about it because I managed to build like my uh, uh, my friendships all around the world because of it, and also because it's accessible, it's safe for people. Like not everyone wants to break their neck in a road race, and just like it's uh, plug and play, hop on the train and you go. Yeah, it's a social platform as much yeah. as anything. I would say. Like yeah. the the top tier guys like Tom and Patrick that race, there's not a lot of these guys and girls on Swift that are at that level. Most level is, you know, the amateur cyclist, the person that's trying to get fit, um, you know, and like on some of the group rides, the, the chat, that's the other thing. You can actually chat while you're cycling, either typing or you can go on Discord, like 
what we're sort of doing now and talk to people. And that's the social side of it. That's where Swift really is. That's that's their monetary side mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, sure. I, I think that's a challenge. I think that's where um, if we can, if the platform or kind of the community can do a better job of kind of humanizing the sport a little bit more, I think it'll really help evolve and make it more legitimate because i think sometimes when you're just seeing a game and you can only type you can't hear their voice you can't see them um it's easy to accuse someone of cheating um but if there's a way to kind of humanize the sport a little bit add in maybe voice into the game or or other things like that or have forums where maybe you can kind of chat after the race just like you would in the parking lot after a uh like a road race, I think it would totally change the the atmosphere and the dynamics. Because I I know there's a lot of people who are skeptical of esports, um, but I think if if you knew the people and you could see them, I think it it would totally change that that attitude. I mean, for the top level, like there have been tournaments and you had to go through a like whole verification process. <clears throat> now with COVID, it's a bit different. But like for the again Premier Division, you have to. Uh, you ha- you have to record yourself on the video you do. So when you complete the performance verification, everything has to be on video. And also for the races, like every every rider has to get on a Zoom call and just so that he's visible, he or she is visible during the race, so that they can use it for like broadcasts. But like as Tom said, for the open community races, there's still a lot of like sketchy things happening. So from that point of view, yeah, I agree. There should be something done in that way that it's more um that it's easy that it's easier to prevent um uh, cheating from happening because at the end of the day people will cheat on Zwift just like in any sports uh, athletes will, will dope that to gain an art I, I, I think it's not just negative uh, it's not just about cheating it's the negative responses that people can actually say on Swift. But that's another uh, tool with your companion app. You can flag a certain rider for if you think they're cheating, which is called a flyer, bad language, stuff like that. So that's that's quite a good thing. I think on the Premier League side of top-tier racing is the only way of going forward with this uh, – on any platform at top tier is live events. Yeah. So imagine you're in a stadium with 10,000 people watching you. You could be in a velodrome or whatever. They've done it in Paris is all the guys and girls are on the same trainer. They get weighed there and then before they go in and then the adjudicator puts in their weight and their height and then they jump on the bike. I mean, they had a, they had an attempt in the UK where uh, UK nationals were broadcast broadcasted live on national television in London, right. in a certain arena. But that kind of also ended tragically, like with the winner eventually being disqualified due to manipulation, uh, mani- manipulation because he used a bike he didn't obtain by the rules. So but he still uh, won the race. Fair yeah, but he still he, he still won the race fair and square. But I mean, it's still like it's, it's still a working process. Like it's still going to take a few years. But I think the thing things are moving in the right direction. 
It's just but like, does that take well, away from, like you said before, Alex, like one of the nice things about Swift is you are in Slovenia. These guys are in Nashville. You know, I'm saying people can be around the world and be racing at the same time. What's the balance yeah. there? You know? It, again, I think they've made leaps and bounds to do what they can from remotely. Again, I think we'll still see improvements over the next couple of years. Sure. There'll be trainers and other things or like a scale that they send to everybody, or I don't know, there, there's going to be technology improvements because I think their live races are, are going to be important. I think like the big kind of top tier races, maybe like the UCI esports world that should be live. Right. Or, at, but the average community race and the premier season doesn't need to be live every race. But I think there are certain events that, especially where big prize money is on the line, definitely the only way to make sure everything is controlled is, is in a live stadium. So I think we're going to see technology advances that allow us to legitimize the sport remotely. But I think it's going to be a balance of, because again, that's the whole point why we love it. We don't have to travel to go and do these things. If you had to get on a flight every week to go do a Zwift race, I don't know. It would probably suck a lot of the enjoyment out of it unless that's what you love doing. So, you know what I'm curious of? So, so I, I think that, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Tom, like having some live events, that would be really cool. But how would you feel as a racer, if say you're traveling to whatever XYZ country and using a different trainer, would that be fine with you? Or do you kind of have some pause on that? Me specifically, I've used pretty much every trainer. So I, I'm pretty familiar with everything. And if, if again, every event had different sponsors and different trainers, it would be the responsibility of the racer to familiarize yourself with that equipment. Um, it does make it challenging, but it's, 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 at least it's a level playing field for everyone that we're all on the same thing. So yeah, it's going to be an advantage if you own that one or that's your favorite trainer, but, um, and it's all part of the game. And the other thing is it, you put a hundred trainers in the room, they're all going to read slightly different. It's, it's flawed technology. These were never designed to race on. Um, so yeah, I think there's also kind of progress to be made there. Guys, this was awesome. We've chatted for a while here. Thank you. Um, I do actually, I have one last thing and you got, we don't have to go into in depth on this, but I meant to ask this earlier rocker boards. What's your guys stance. Have you guys used those? Is, is that good, bad? Never used one. No, neither. I've never used one either. Yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of the other way. I like my bike to be as like stiff as possible. Like I weigh my trainer down. I want as little movement as possible. Um, like for example, like a tax Neo, there's some wobble in the, in the trainer. And even in the new Wahoo, they have uh, legs that allow for different, you can adjust it. But I like to keep my trainer like as rigid as possible. Cause I find for the way I've learned how to ride indoors, um, it's just my ability to put down more power. I don't see a point. I, I don't see a point of it uh, because at the end of the day, you're inside. It's uh, it's gonna be a pain in the ass to move it and to just like put it in because those those things are heavy. And then just to like learn how to actually sprint on it. Just like Tom said, every top top level racer weighs down the trainer. Everyone, do. like yeah. you, you can you can see guys using weights up to 100 kilos. So, I mean, it doesn't make, from my perspective, it doesn't make 
any point in using that. There is a certain team on Zwift that uses it because they're sponsored by Saris, so Saris makes those boards. Uh, they so maybe for them it works. I guess it's individual. I guess for me it's pointless. Well, thank you guys all again. I will we'll chat. I want to get your link so if people want to connect with you or watch your races. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, yeah. Thank you guys. I really appreciate this. We'll have to do another one. We'll have to do a little catch up and see how uh, the next league goes. No spam email, please. If you want to, if you want to email anybody, please email Alex. That's what he said. <laughs> no spam email, please. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you guys. Uh, good to see you, Ross. Good see luck with the racing. Bye, guys.